Hello, I'm Matt Jolly. This is Politics Without the Boring Bits. Coming up on today's episode, a must-listen edition of PMQ's Unpacked. Are we due another Prime Minister? Simon Clark seems to think so. How did Rishi Sunak get on? What did Keir Starmer make of it all? Patrick Maguire joins us while Tim Shippen has a lie down and tries to work out how he's ever going to finish his book. So Patrick Maguire joins me to pause the action live from the House of Commons to analyse the key exchanges in real time. And Lara's spirit rounds up the best of the rest so that you don't have to sit through. That's coming up in our big thing. Before that, as it's Wednesday, we'll have Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton on whether the Tories have lost their minds and should we lose the Daily Post And don't forget, if you like what you hear on the podcast, you can always listen to me live on Times Radio with politics without the boring bits for free on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker, or download the Times Radio app. That's politics without the boring bits, weekdays from 10. And we begin with Simon Clarke's karaoke favourite. All right, Simon. All right, Simon. I mean, it's been a while since we've had a new Prime Minister, so maybe Simon Clark's got a point. Maybe we are due a new one. Uh, Simon Clark calling for Rishi Sunak to go to try and turn things around. Well, when the news broke, my WhatsApps lit up, lit up with messages from MPs and ministers. Because unlike the Scottish Government where... WhatsApp deletion is a pre-bed ritual. I kept mine. I kept mine before I went to bed last night. So what I thought I'd do is just walk you through uh, some of the WhatsApps I've had uh, overnight uh, from uh, various Tories about the idea from Simon Clark that things would be better if Rishi Sunak resigned. If former Cabinet Minister, my view is that it is balmy to consider yet another change of leader. Completely balmy. There's an outpouring of fury against Simon Clark on the Conservative MP WhatsApp group. Excellent. Not another former cabinet minister. So, there, were, there were a lot of them. Simon Clark is well known for changing positions more frequently than the Kama Sutra. During the May years, he flip-flopped three times in one week on her Brexit deal. He'll no doubt be four square behind the PM in a few months' time. Excellent. Uh, then this from a current cabinet minister, somebody who's currently in the cabinet. My view is that he, Simon Clark, is a poor man's Jeff Hoon. Though, to be fair, Jeff is a very much more considerable figure. This is a reference to the fact, I think it's 14, no, 15 years almost to the day uh, when Jeff Hoon and Patricia Hewitt launched a, a coup against Gordon Brown to try and stop him uh, leading the Labour Party into the general election. Uh, of course, uh, the coup didn't work, uh, but uh, well, the election didn't go very well either. Uh, <laughs> now, here's, <laughs> here's a message someone sent me. Because I don't know if you've seen this. Liz Truss... Simon Clark launched something called Popcon. Popcon. Sounds like the world's worst music festival. Popcon. Uh, it's uh, all about a, uh, uh, it's a group called Popular Conservatism. Uh, somebody says, I honestly thought when I saw that Popular Conservative post, it was a piss take. Who the hell would want her back? She managed to all... <laughs> she managed to off and sack all the incompetent MPs in a few short weeks with her band of inepts. Some of those tits were gonged for it as well. Apologies about the language. I'm merely quoting, I'm merely quoting elected members of the House of Commons. And here's another one. Someone close to, this is someone who's close to Liz Truss, sat in Liz Truss's cabinet next to Simon Clark on whether they're going to join the call for Rishi Sunak to go. I could tell you that the answer 
is absolutely not. It's not in anyone's interest, nor is it in the national interest to have a literature contest now. And then they followed that up by saying uh, that should have been leadership contest, not literature contest. Excuse any other typos. I'm on hands free. We can add spelling to the list of skills uh, needed to be in this justice cabinet. Uh, here's another MP. Uh, loads and loads of messages uh, saying uh, saying there were lots of messages. They said they, they think there will be more calls for, for Sunat to go in the coming days. Drip, 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 they called it. They said this is Gove and Harper's fault. That's Michael Gove and Mark Harper. Uh, they said in October 2022, they were the henchmen to kill off Liz and Co. It sounds like get your own back time. It's all completely sane. It's all completely sane. Another MP says it's bloody stupid. Another one says it's crazy. Bonkers, says another one. Uh, Former cabinet minister says the trouble with the cult of youth in modern politics is that you get a lot of juvenilia. Nice. Uh, Former minister. Madness. The final descent of this party into a fratricidal cult of warring tribes of posturing populists putting ideology ahead of governing in the mainstream interest. It's beyond parody. The WhatsApp just keep coming. They just keep coming. Uh, here's another one. This is from a former minister. Aina Orn, standby on the bleeper. This is self-indulgence of the highest order. Alternatively, the word <laughs> come to mind. Very close that. I think we got away with that one. Another MP, on a serious note, <laughs> on a serious note, there will not be enough letters or support to get rid of Rishi as most of us are supporting him. It's just the usual ASCs doing what they always do when they are out of the spotlight. I thought, what is this? What is this? It's another Tory grouping. What are the ASCs, I asked. They replied, attention-seeking... Do get in touch in all the usual ways. Uh, any MPs, Tory MPs who are listening, uh, always good to hear from you. The Columnists with Ali Burt, Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton. And they're both here and they're both in Burgundy. Yeah, we try to match every week yeah, now. Yeah, it's very important, that. Have you had, have you had your colours done? I had my colours done Ooh, on the show yesterday. Are you autumn oh. or spring? She was leaning towards autumn. We oh, only no. gave her ten minutes and really she not, likes to have two hours. And is that your skin tone? That yeah, yeah. Yeah, my dad had it done. What is it? Barbara Follett used to do it for the Labour Party. Yeah. Colour me something. <laughs> yeah. And he had grey hair and blue eyes and she told him he was a winter person. Yeah. <laughs> so that's clever, isn't it? Yeah. We could do that as a piece. <laughs> yeah. She, well, yeah. Had, she had white hair, but it was autumnal. Oh, interesting. So apparently it's coming back. It's because of the TikTokers. Mm. Oh, okay. It's only a matter of time before you Yeah, all my children yeah. want to have it done, which is kind yeah. of weird, because I thought it was my grandma. Very like 80s thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, there we are. But anyway, you both look lovely. Thanks, mate. So yeah. do you. Thanks, yeah. Val. Um, let's talk about Simon Clark. Paul Simon mm. Clark. Sir Simon Clark, if you don't mind. Um, knighted by Liz Truss for mm. his role in her government. Um, he's come out and said that the Tories are heading for uh, disaster. They will be massacred at the general election unless they uh, find a new leader who mm. shares the instincts of the party. Mm. Um, have the Tories mm. completely lost the plot, Alice? 
Well, I think he has. I think the problem <laughs> is that whatever leader they have, they are probably going to um, do pretty badly in the polls. And I think actually, by changing leader, I think people really will have had enough because by then you've gone through five leaders. And you need to have, you know, you do need to have an election. People need to feel that they are voting for the prime minister at a certain stage rather than it just being an internal decision. So I think mm. I would say, yes, he has. I would say he was all by himself, actually. And I think mm. there are quite a lot of Tories who are so worried about their seats that they're trying to see just how many seats, you know, sort of how many votes they can cling on to. They don't really care if the Tories get in or not. Mm. It's all about them. And I suggest mm. they should just go off and look for another job. But that isn't, this, this isn't the way to cling on to votes, is it? I mean, he's right about the first part. The Tories yeah. are heading for electoral disaster. But he's not right about the second part. Because I think it'd be an even bigger disaster if they replace Sunak. It's, it's, you have to sure. wonder about the mentality of some of them that it took the seat-by-seat breakdown, mm. this MRP YouGov poll that was in the Telegraph last week, um, apparently commissioned by some secret organisation that doesn't actually exist, which mm. Simon Clark seems to be in, the, in cahoots with. Um, the, only when they saw on the map that their seat had changed <laughs> colour yeah. did they start worrying. Whereas everyone else has been able to see for the last 12 months that the Labour Party have had a 20-point yeah, lead. they're not very good at maths, are they? Because you could work it out quite quickly. So they just think that everyone else was going to lose their seat and they... Per- I, I think a lot of MPs do. do think that. Mm. Yeah, oh, I mean, there's, there's a, And there's a myth of the personal vote. Somebody did a survey once on the power of the... You can have the best MP ever, nicest person, fantastic uh, constituency MP, surgeries every day of the week, and it's worth about 500 votes. Mm. Uh so, and, but, Lib- but of course, it's it's a fallacy, isn't it? It's what the Lib Dems said a lot mm. in the run up yeah. to 2015, wasn't it? So, oh, well, where, where we've got MPs and yeah. we're, we're dug in and we've got the personal vote. It's and a shame, really, because the personal vote kind of ought to exist, yeah. but it doesn't, really. Um, so, yeah, they probably were all fooling themselves. But Rishi Sunak now, I mean, it's, it's very difficult for him because he's trying to get on, he's trying to appease everybody at the moment. And that you can see that. He's going from one side to the other of the party constantly. And they've got this new popcorn group, which is popular conservatism. But it does sound like popcorn. It sounds like something sort of frivolous, jokey, bit sweet, bit salty, not really doing I very much. it was like one of those like conventions where people sort of dress up as <laughs> pop stars or maybe you dress up as Liz Truss. Maybe that's the... It's uh, and Danny made the point in his column today, didn't he? About uh, you know the tradition of the Labour Party has been the party of, of of protest rather than government, and looking for traitors everywhere and all the rest of it. And now it, the Conservative Party is taking on that mantle. Yeah, doesn't seem to care about government. Yeah. Happens occasionally, uh, and occasionally the Labour Party gets its act together and presents a reasonable alternative. Yeah. And that it seems to be what's happening. Well, this Labour time. is so disciplined at the moment, aren't they? I mean, they're not giving away any yeah. spending. Plans. And although Sunak's it's been reasonably. Mm. You could say he's been reasonably competent. You can't you can't sell yourself as the party of competence if the other party is looking competent, and if your own people are constantly undermining it. And it just adds to the sense, of, you know, to the extent that people are following all these things. It adds to the sense of it just being a joke. That it's just. Yeah, I mean, I was saying to Alice outside. I know people who are kind of hardened Tory voters who got no intention of voting Tory. They, I mean, they, they just think they'd be be idiots to vote Conservative. It's it's just not. They're not going to do it this time. I mean, they will again in the future. No but doubt, even ones but... who want to, their reasoning for not voting Tory is that mm. they're such a rabble and such a mess yeah. that they need to get their act together. They need a yeah. bit of time in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And I think that's quite dangerous for them because they, you know, they're going to find that the people who really would normally vote for them come what may are actually trying to do it for their benefit. Their well, life. yeah, and the danger is that there is demographics, isn't it? Mm. Because we all know that what the, what the, the poll, young people are vanishingly small, isn't it? Mm. People under 
25. I mean, maybe people, as they grow up, they're going to turn towards the Tories, but they, they've got a very, very elderly yeah, yeah. Uh, electorate. And each election and, is always that, that crossing point, isn't it, where mm. you're, you're suddenly more likely to vote Tory than Labour. Yeah. It, yeah. Had been, I think it did come down in 2019, but it had been getting older and older. Uh-huh. So if we were being constructive then, if not removing the leader, what could Rishi Sunak do over the next nine months? Not, I think, winning a majority seems unlikely on current form. But what could he do to stem the losses? Well, we were just talking losses? again, so we have done a lot of prep, haven't we? Don't yeah, you think? Good, well, yeah. We, we do work it out. We were Otherwise saying, known as a chat by the lift. Yeah, yeah, exactly, with coffee. Um, <laughs> we were saying that we think that the sewage and the water companies are, is a big issue. It's particularly mm. big in the West Country. But it's those sort of issues. It's things that people really care about. They don't care about Rwanda. They do care about immigration, and they really care actually, I think, about things like sewage. They cared about post office. They just want things to be efficient Mm. and sorted. And if Rishi Sunak could just sound as if he was going to sort things out a bit more and actually take it all seriously and stop looking at his own party and start looking at what's wrong with the country, I think he'd have more of a chance. I was When I was in Westminster last week, I bumped into a minister. He's not a health minister. We were sort of of chatting. They were saying, there's supposed to be, at some point, the government's got a big dentist plan coming. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's been coming just around the corner for months. And a couple of weeks ago, the Labour Party ended up having a debate in the Commons just to sort of force the issue. Mm-hmm. It was about why they then started talking about brushing your teeth, children and all that stuff. And they're like, why? Yeah, the dentist thing is having massive cuts. The Lib Dems are really weaponising it in lots of places. You yeah. can't get a dentist mm-hmm. Yeah. So they've actually got a thing and it's just sort of been dragged in. And by the time they get there, everyone else will have announced their dentist plan. Yeah. And it'll look mm-hmm. like they've been dragged to it kicking and screaming rather mm-hmm. than, a, you know, sort of getting ahead of it. Just to identify, you know, five things which are annoying people. Well, yeah, sewage, and... dentists, uh, potholes, mm. and just hammer away at that. That if all else fails, you and, can say... Yeah, and transport, so transport. actually, and railway ma- lines... Just... And maybe rather than trying to constantly uh, pander to the right, he could think possibly about trying to outflank the Labour Party mm. to its left, mm. which would be water, in my view. I mean, that's the one that I, when you're talking to people... Cuts across every single mm. uh, party affiliation. You get people are just furious about it. Now, I'm not su- suggesting that he should announce the renationalisation of the water industry, but he might be. He might want to do something uh, radical, which makes the Labour Party uh, look a bit sort of stodgy and centrist. Well, one thing he could do. We also talked to Kate Osborne uh, earlier, the Labour MP. She was saying that she'd like Keir Starmer to recommit to. Nationalising the Royal Mail. You know, the Royal Mail seems to be... Now wants to come mm. back on deliveries so that they can pay the bonus themselves more bonuses and that sort of thing. Well, Rishi Sunak announced he's renationalising mm. the Royal Mail. What will, will Keir Starmer do about that? Mm. It's probably not what they're talking about down the dog and duck, but people do get cross about the post and... Yeah, I think, they they are, and I think the post office now has got so much kind of scrutiny on it that it, now is the time yeah. to look at it and to say mm. what you're going to do and but I think just have a plan. People also know that the nature of that industry is changing mm. rapidly in terms of you know, just the volume of letters and and, and how and how parcels are delivered and so forth. Whereas I just don't understand how they've managed to lose the market to all the other people who deliver your Amazon deliveries. Well, that was the point. It's actually they could have just flipped, couldn't they, very mm. quickly into delivering all our Christmas parcels. Mm. Less. I mean, God, we have something through the door every day, but it's not a letter. Exactly. Yeah. Dog mess. It's dog mess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, we've got to get on to dog mess in a minute, haven't we? Because, well, yeah. well, it's not human dog mess. It might be worse isn't it? Okay, let's talk. Right. So, as a result, again... We've gone effortlessly from one yeah. subject to the next. We are segueing. Mm. Um, just like Lembit Opic. He used to like a segue, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. he did. I love a segue. It's a good uh, word, isn't it? That's a niche... Uh, Niche radio slash Lib Dem reference. That's what I'm here for. Um, uh, so we've talked a lot, lot about uh, councils struggling to, you know, balance the books and going bust, and warnings of more and more councils going that way. Somerset Council is in particular trouble because it used to be county council and district councils. 
it was in financial trouble, so they merged them into a unitary, which just seems to have pooled their financial trouble rather than their resources. They're mm. now planning to close all 25 public toilets. Uh, of which I think I've used quite a few of those because I'm on the Devon <laughs> Somerset border and I'm a real public Is it like collecting... User. What do you do when you go in Scotland? You collect... Munro's. Munro's. Yes. Munro bagging. Munro yeah. bagging. Bagging toilets. Or people who go to all 92 football clubs and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Have you been to all of Somerset's 25 toilets? I can't believe there's only 25 in Somerset. Well, I think that's probably a sign of how much they've been cut back yeah. by already. I mean, that's extraordinary. Um, well, Exmoor has quite budget. a few of them, I think. They need to save £100 yeah. million. Pounds. It's been estimated that the UK has lost 50% of its public toilets in the past decade. Um, is it... Because I, I was sort of thinking, is this, does it reach a point where councils are cutting back so much sort of they don't really exist anymore? They're doing the absolute you bare bones of yeah. the legal obligation. You want them to clean the streets first, I guess, and after that you want public toilet provision would be kind of next on the list of pretty basic... Yeah. Uh, Minimum service, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, and the rubbish. So actually, I think Somerset's yeah. got a real problem. Yeah, they're quite often they're streets, picking rubbish up three times, you know, once every yeah. three weeks rather than three times a week. Well, of course, if you had close the public toilets, that adds to the rubbish well, problem, you, as I got... found out locally in, in uh, East London. Because we know well, that you're a litter picker. Yeah, I do that. and It's stopped now for uh, for the autumn and winter, but it resumes in the summer, and I do that some Sundays. Oh, I didn't realise you were only seasonal. <laughs> we're only seasonal because the park is not really... It doesn't get particularly badly littered yeah, yeah, in the yeah. autumn and winter, but it does get heavy use in the summer and heavy use from people who want to go to the lavatory, not always where they should do. Uh, there are lavatories available, actually, but they're often locked or mm. vandalised or out of action. And some of the stuff you find in the more wooded areas is indescribable. I mean, we is the work, is the least of it. Yeah, I mean yeah. that is the problem. I think is that if you shut all the public toilets, then people just go elsewhere, and then that mm -hmm. that is just really unpleasant. It's what happened during lockdown because I live right mm -hmm. on the park, and they made the mistake of opening the pubs for takeaway over yeah, yeah. a couple of months before they opened the loos. Mm. So my front yard just became oh, a sort of God. vast public lavatory for a while. People attempting to do stuff other than mm. other than just urinate. In the part in my garden. Have you noticed right. that Robert doesn't use the word toilet, do you? Mm, no, he's what did I say? Lavatory. Lavatory and That's Times Star, mm. isn't it? Times House Star. Yeah. Did you ever catch them? Uh, I found one guy uh, who was in the act of lowering his trousers between the two, between my recycling bin and my dustbin, and I've got a little sort of forecourt thing, and he looked at me sheepishly and stood up to rebutton his trousers and said, oh, no, no, don't worry, I'm not going to. And I said, I know you're not, mate. <laughs> On your way. Wow. You're not doing that. And, but it is uh, <laughs> very unfair on elderly people or if you've got young children yeah. or there's so many... I mean, you know, a lot of women that it actually... It's really difficult if there's nowhere to go to the loo and you have to kind of try and find a shop yeah. and then you're not wanted. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, yeah I, I remember... It's I, really I just, hard. When my son was small, he had this, we had this mm. issue and, and uh, you ended up going into a lot of pubs and sort of craving the indulgence of the... Yeah, you're pleading land, with land, people. Landlord yeah. saying, sorry, Children, you're... older people, yeah. people with disabilities and medical conditions. You know, yeah. so it's not just no. like, a bit funny. It's like a No, serious... no, it's really, it's really, yeah, yeah, really yeah. basic. Yeah. And it stops it's... them going out. So actually, you know, it's yeah. limiting people's lives if they can't go out and there isn't anywhere they can go. Yeah, and we, we just ought to be able to do it, didn't we? As a provider, mm. you know... As a... But it's one of those things, sort of the, the, sort of the a... public faith... In, yeah. know, in the public realm, if you Yes, like. it's one of those sort of markers of civilization. You know, how, you, how, how you treat the weakest members yeah. of society, no. how you treat old people, and whether you can provide somewhere for people yeah. to go to the loo. Yeah. It's, a pretty, yeah. it's, a, it's the same with water fountains. So you kind of think, if they've kept the water fountains, you kept yeah. the public loos, then, you you know, actually you have that kind of infrastructure that you All can get on with All these Zedders wouldn't be able to be carrying around two-litre containers yeah. exactly. of water at yeah, which, all times. Yeah, which take yeah. them about half an hour to fill at the water yeah. coolers here. Yeah. 
You don't have a water cooler moment anymore. You have a water cooler. No, just, kind of, just out of watch shop filling shop. up two <laughs> litres of water. Exactly. In case they get dehydrated on the way back to <laughs> yeah, their desk. That's right. Um, well, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I imagine other councils will be following suit on that and whether or not they could do anything about it. Um, finally, dressing up. Mm. You like dressing up, don't you? I do. I mean, I quite like, I do. I think most people like dressing up. A lot of men like dressing up. I wrote a column about that. And uh, I do it a lot for work. But if you think about it, I thought about every single uh, major in- component of the British establishment. They, what unites them all, House of Lords, yeah. uh, the church, the military, the royals, the judiciary, the city with the, uh, the guilds and so on, it's all about the dressing up box, isn't it? Think about yeah, the it. tights. Yeah, yeah. wigs. And yeah, and it's incre- and it's all very camp. Uh, and it, we say we're good at pageantry. Well, we are, aren't we? But it's not just the royals. Uh, it's it's everything. And it is quite a male thing. It's yeah. really male because I yeah. don't actually like. I hate that kind of dressing up party no. when they give yeah. you a theme. I just think. Yeah, and they're going on any Saturday night of yeah. the week. You have hundreds and hundreds of those in any suburban mm. close you, mm. you you care to look at. And it's a toga party me. or a vicars and tarts party. Yeah. And, it's the, and it's more mm. the men getting into it's it. It's always the men. That's that yeah. terrible point in Legally Blonde. You remember that when the film when Reese Witherspoon yeah, goes yeah. in with her bunny outfit and no one else is dressing up, and <laughs> yeah. that is always going to be me. Yeah. I'm so terrified that I'm going to go. Uh, Bridget Jones. Oh, and Bridget Jones is. Yeah. They're two, they're two yeah. different ones, aren't they, when they both the have them? Yeah, yeah. My friend used to do that. He used to tell everyone he was having a party and he'd tell one person that it was fancy dress and then some poor guy would just turn up as Henry yes. VIII or something. <laughs> <laughs> it was his, like, his thing. I was very Yeah, funny. well, I scarred my daughter from doing it. So we don't do it in our family because it was World Book Day when she was five. I took her in on the wrong day and she dressed up as mm. Mrs. Twit. Yeah. Oh, and she had to spend the whole day at school in dressing up. And then, oh, so yeah, she gonna... won't do it. So most of the family now don't really dress up. I There's part say. of me that really hates forced fun. But mm. then whenever, yeah. if I do go to a fancy dress, I yeah. do go for it. Anyway, well, we've Elton seen you and, you and a very good Theresa May, as we saw. Well, see the Theresa yeah. May, still darling yeah. out on that one. Yeah. Elton John, you mentioned. Yeah, I've done Elton John, yeah. Just up <laughs> really? Elton John and Timmy Mallet. Right. But is that because you like both. all the makeup? Yeah. <laughs> Not especially the makeup. Yeah. I always think when I see men in, in TV studios, they do actually quite like him in their hair yeah. and makeup done, don't they? Yeah. And it's all those medics at university. Mm. Going I like having makeup done uh, to go on telly because they always tell me I've got good skin. Well, you have because you're moisturising. I moisturise every day. Yeah. Well, I do everything I'm told to do by the times two in weekends. And the dressing up thing was because of Andy Murray. Oh, yes, that's up, why. Dressing yeah, yeah. up as uh, Dumbledore in a very sort of rather restrained, slightly douce, dare I say, Scottish manner with a, with just a sort of pointy hat and a waistcoat. Mm. But he was he was doing it at five thirty in the morning to with entertain it. his uh, his. Three daughters. Yes. And so respect for him for doing that. He put a witch's hat on and a waistcoat. Mm. Well, sorry, a wizard's hat. A wizard. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah, good. But you're, you're, you won't be doing that, Alice. Well, I thought that five thirty in the morning was pretty good. I yeah, think yeah, my yeah, children really. woke me up at five. You must have dressed up at something for the time, yeah, but not five thirty in the morning. Yeah, I've done quite a lot, but <laughs> mine was more. I was at a nudist camp. We had to dress down for that. I think. But I have, yeah, no, I have done. I once did a Rolls Royce piece when I was dressed up as sort of you know nineteen fifties headscarf, Lady which I quite like. Yeah, yeah, that was quite good. Actually, I wasn't quite going to say that, but it was like that. I quite enjoyed yeah. that one. <laughs> uh, thanks, Robert. Says Lisa. Breakfast ruined. <laughs> I think she talked about toilets. Yeah, yeah sorry then, about Sorry, Lisa. Then Lisa goes on to say, talking of public urinating, witnessed a man this morning spraying a neighbour's doorstep. So, Lisa, you can't, you can't complain no. and then offer up your own. And you should have had your breakfast by 10 to 11 in the morning as well, Lisa. Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton. Of course, you can read them in The Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription at thetimes.co.uk. Up next, it's PMQ's Unpacked. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order! Order! 
I call Matt Chorley and Patrick Maguire. Yes, it's been a long time. It's been ages. It really ages has. since you've been here. I can't. I cannot remember the last time. And I used to set by my watch and measure my life by these appearances <laughs> on PMQ. So Tim Tim Shipman's off to finally finish his book. That seems to be the uh, the explanation. The long awaited. The long-awaited third volume in the trilogy. Actually, I've just started writing a book, as some listeners probably don't know. Um, so it's it's obligatory on somebody who is doing this this slot has to be also simultaneously writing. You have to be a sort of uh, slightly ragged-looking man with a beard <laughs> and a, a, a book project that's slightly too ambitious. Uh, now, people are very excited about the prospect of you bringing us a, a, a Lindsay Hoyle impression. Oh. We've had a lot of Lindsay Hoyle in recent weeks. We have, haven't we? Would you like, for the benefit of, of newer listeners, your your trademark, Lindsay? <laughs> it all dates back to... 2020. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's a Sarah Cox, ago. the uh, popular DJ, uh, once said that um, Lindsay Hoyle had the vibe of a woodwork teacher. Yeah, an overworked, put-upon woodwork teacher. And so you've just got to imagine yourself in a, a dingy uh, tech building at a, you know, Northern Comprehensive... And you know your hand, uh, your hand strays a little bit, and you just hear, "Don't touch the lathe." I've told you once, "Don't touch the lathe." That's more Paul Mason, actually. What about Paul Wall? That's a big question. <laughs> oh, Paul Wall, uh, chief political commentator of the I newspaper. Yes, who uh, we were told just <laughs> <laughs> so that's a diet coke, not a <laughs> cracking over a can, cracking over a, t- a tinny to Get celebrate. Get a go. Um, yeah, Paul Wall, uh, chief political commentator of the I. Uh, was due on Times Radio tonight um, with John Pienaar and Pienaar and friends. But apparently he has pulled out. He has been approached by Labour members in Rochdale, uh, according to the uh, to several outlets now, to run as their candidate. Paul is from Rochdale, fan of Rochdale FC. There are some of them still left. Um, yeah. It's interesting, though. Here's some interesting trivia for listeners of a certain age. The Liberals stood both Robin Day and Ludovic Kennedy who uh, was a big human rights activist and uh, journalist in Rochdale. Robin Day? Yeah, Robin Day. What, the Robin Day? The Robin Day. I didn't know that. Yeah. He was big mates with Jeremy Thorpe at the Oxford Union uh, when they were both undergrads. I had no idea. Well, there you go. Um, before we uh, go to the House of Commons at the start of PMQs as well, um, are you across Lee Anderson's latest? What, Lee Anderson said he should have voted the Rwanda bill and if they are interested, he will do the job again. Yes, so he's, he's written for the Telegraph. I don't know what's going on at the Telegraph. Um, so they've had uh, simultaneously Simon Clark calling for Rishi Sunak to resign. Now Lee Anderson, who last week resigned from his job as Deputy Tory Chairman to um, vote against the government's Rwanda bill, he then didn't vote against the government's Rwanda bill. He abstained. He says now he should have been brave and voted with the government uh, <laughs> and kept my and, kept and his he's job. like his old job as Deputy Chairman back. Please. There we are. Right, are we ready to go to the House of Commons? Uh, Keir Starmer uh, has got obviously quite a lot to go at today. How many How many interventions from Keir Starmer? How many interventions from Lindsay Hoyle? I suspect we're going to hear a lot about Tory chaos from Keir Starmer today. I hear. Is that, what the, uh, is that the, the, the line? The word on the grapevine. Right, here we go then. Let's go live to the House of Commons. This is question number one from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister's had quite a week. From endlessly fighting with his own MPs to collapsing in laughter when he was asked by a member of the public about NHS waiting lists. So I was glad to hear that he managed to take some time off. 
Victoria can, Atkins can I just say, shaking her head. Oh, it's Lindsay Hall I already. I to the Prime Minister. I'm certainly going to hear the Leader of the Opposition. Those people who don't want to hear, they can certainly leave. Because that's who it's going to be, so get it in order. Some of you are wanting to catch my eye again. It's not a good way to do it. That has to be a record. Yes. Mr Speaker, I, I love this quaint tradition where the more they slag him off behind his back, the later they cheer in here. <laughs> Keep it going. The label. <laughs> the label they cheer. And also, for this side, you can have a joint cup of tea. Come on. Mr Speaker, I was glad to see that he managed to get some time off yesterday afternoon to kick back, relax and accidentally record a candid video for Nigel Farage. <laughs> The only thing missing from that punishing schedule is any sort of governing or leadership. So was he surprised to see one of his own MPs say that he doesn't get what Britain needs and he's not listening to what people want? Prime Minister. Mr. S- Mr Speaker, he talks about what Britain needs, what Britain wants, what Britain values. This from a man who takes the knee, Mr Speaker, who wanted to abolish the monarchy, who still doesn't know what a woman is, and just this week, and who just this week, one of his front benchers, said that they backed teaching divisive white privilege in our schools, Mr Speaker. Looking at his record, it's crystal clear which one of us doesn't get Britain's values. Wow. Well, there's a lot to unpack there, uh, Patrick McGuire. So we'll jump in there, as we always do. If you haven't uh, previously joined us on PMQ's Unpacked, uh, we we pause the action to explain what is going on. Um, now, to completely rewind, what triggered Keir Starmer uh, being interrupted by Lindsay Hoyle was his reference to the laughing at the face of NHS waiting list, because there was this video that was posted online mm-hmm. last week, but all was not as All it was not as it seemed, because it was a video taken by an off-duty Sky News cameraman. I love the idea that if you're a Sky News cameraman, you carry your warrant card, <laughs> unle- just in case you need <laughs> you to film something. You could perform a, c- a citizen's video clip. <laughs> well, that is exactly what yeah. happened. The Prime Minister was on a walkabout. He was talking to a member of the public about waiting lists, uh, a... Uh, an elderly woman who was talking about her daughter's experience of NHS waiting lists. And the woman said, you could make it all go back to how it was, to which Rishi Sunak made a hearty chuckle and in the first cut of the video appeared to then turn his back and walk away. A longer cut of the video from an alternative angle saw that Rishi Sunak chuckled, turned around and walked up the street with the woman in question. So if you were being a bit po-faced about it, uh, and indeed lots of journalists were very po-faced about this video in the in the aftermath of it, and I shouldn't say po-faced because it raises an interesting question ahead of an election year that will be fought online, is Keir Starmer using a version of events there to attack the Prime Minister, given that this was a video that was cut, a lot of people say, misleadingly? Is he amplifying misinformation there? That's a good question. Now, uh, then uh, he made this joke about taking time out of his busy schedule to record a clip for Nigel Farage. This is slightly peculiar. We're going to talk about it um, a bit later. This slightly peculiar website where you can go online and put your name in or the name of someone else and then they get a personalised video from Rishi Sunak. In which he says, I show your priorities, immigration's too high, taxes have to come down. Yeah, and the Guido Fawkes website got one for Nigel Farage. Hi Nigel, like you, I think immigration levels are too high. And But we've tried to do one for me, and he didn't record the name Matt. When he sat there, presumably, with like a, a, a book of children's names... Hello, Aaron. Hello, Adam. Hello, Alan. Hello, Brian. Hello, Barry. Hello, Colin. Hello... Apparently didn't get to... But it's amazing. Nobody in the room, given this was Rishi Sunak's 
family home in North Yorkshire, no aid said, maybe don't do Nigel because... Or nobody said, you're the Prime Minister, surely you've got something better to do <laughs> than spend your, your weekend going, hello, Simon, hello, Stephen, hello, Terry, hello, Veronica. It's, it's quite extraordinary. Then, but then we were talking about misinformation or certainly misinterpreting of events or, you know, Richie Sunak in that answer... I mean, normally that's the sort of thing he saves to a bit later on when we had his book to rear and you're the friends of the terrorists and all that. Really leaning in. Abolish the monarchy, takes the knee, doesn't know what a woman is, somebody wants to teach white privilege. That's proper old school dirt throwing, isn't it? Well, yeah, the kindest thing you could say about that line is that the Tories know how they want to attack Keir Starmer. That's not to cast any judgment on its effectiveness or likelihood to move the polls but we have had over the past couple of weeks a very clear line of attack from Rishi Sunak on Keir Starmer which is to say you're a lefty lawyer who sides with people who contravene British values in X number of ways be that on culture or on national security the problem is in the week where Keir Starmer has thrown his arms around the RNLI and the National Trust and you know, is there any given opportunity pictured in camouflage fatigues with British troops? It's uh, trickier to make that stick. Yeah, well, we'll see. Um, I mean, if we're already there at this stage, who knows we're going to be after six questions. Let's go back to the House of Commons' PMQ's unpacked. Question two from Keir Starmer. Mr Slitter. He spouts so much nonsense. No wonder they're giving up on him. Uh, 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 and even now, as his government crumbles around him and his own MPs point out he's out of touch, got no plan for growth, crime or building houses, the Prime Minister is sticking to his one-man Pollyanna show. Everything's fine. People should be grateful to him. The trouble is, no-one's buying it. Does he actually understand why his own MPs say he doesn't understand Britain and that he is an obstacle to recovery? Five minutes. <laughs> Again, Mr Speaker, he, he calls it nonsense, but these are his positions, Mr Speaker. Right? And he doesn't want to talk about it, but this is the facts. He chose, he chose to represent a now-prescribed terrorist group, Mr Speaker. He chose to campaign against the deportation of foreign national offenders, Mr Speaker, just like he chose to serve the Right Honourable Member for Islington North, Mr Speaker. That's his record, those are his values, and that is exactly how he should be judged. Why isn't Keir Starmer just reading out word for word what Simon Clark said in the Telegraph today? And so he's, sort of, he's sort of burying it under generalisations rather than using specifics. And also, what I thought when I heard his first question is it was almost as if Keir Starmer was doing a review of what was funny on Twitter yesterday, rather than saying... <laughs> The Prime Minister's former deputy at the Treasury, who knows him very well, has just said this. What does he say to that? Uh, well, as you say, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a melange, isn't it? I thought it was. I thought it was interesting again that rejoinder from Rishi Sunak, by the way, attacking Keir Starmer on his legal career. I wrote about this in the Times a couple of weeks ago and shared the maybe surprising view of some people in Keir Starmer's inner circle that they have all the rebuttals to this day need, that it won't wash with the public. Not a few universities shared in the, at the top of the Labour Party, Shadow Justice Secretary Shibana Mahmood thinks it's very silly that the Labour Party make uh, a lot of his record as a lawyer because you set yourself up for these attacks if you say, I'm Mr I prosecuted X or did all of, uh, did all of the things you like. 
inevitably uh, they'll come back with that. But yeah, you'd expect to hear a little bit more direct attacks yeah, yeah. from Keir You've Starmer got material today. there. Read out what a former cabinet colleague has said about the Prime Minister today. Concrete quote. What's your response to that? I guess the difficult thing is that Rishi Sunak got a huge cheer when he walked in. Mm. You had the enti- basically the entire Parliamentary Conservative Party, including Natural Allies of Simon Clark, on the right, mm. lining up on WhatsApp yeah, last maybe. night to say, this is stupid. So you don't want to galvanise them. Yeah, so you don't want to say, what do you think of Simon Clark and have the entire mass of Tory MPs say, he's a moron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, lots of you getting in touch uh, saying, uh, where's the question, says Lee. It's a good point. I thought, what did he actually say? Uh, does he understand why... His own MPs say he doesn't understand Britain, was the last question. Um, uh, who's the nodding person on Sunak's left? We'll have a look at that. I think that's, um, uh, that's Victoria Atkins, the, uh, the health secretary. My favourite bit of reaction so far is Tom's been in touch. says, I never miss PMQs unpacked on the YouTube, but I always mute the sound when the politicians are talking in brain because I can't stand it anymore. So I just listen to your commentary, even though I don't really know what you're commenting on. <laughs> Why not? Uh, we'll take it. Uh, if you want to watch along, you can watch along on the YouTube channel. Uh, just go to the uh, YouTube search Times Radio. We are live there right now. Patrick McGuire's with me. Let's go back to the House of Commons. Question number three from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, in 2008, I was the Director of Public Prosecution putting terrorists and murderers in jail. He, he was making millions betting on the misery of working people during the financial crisis. And we've seen this story time and time again with this lot. Party first, country second, safely ensconced in Westminster, they get down to the real business of fighting each other to death. The country forced to endure their division and chaos. The longest episode of EastEnders ever put to film. (laughs) Meanwhile, this week we discover that Britain is going to be the only major economy that no longer makes its own steel that the government is handing out £500 million to make 3,000 steelworkers redundant and that the parents of thousands are being told that his free childcare promise is nothing but a mirage. Isn't he embarrassed that the Tory party is yet again entirely focused on itself? Mr Speaker, yet more sniping from the sidelines. You can see... You can see... You can see... You can see exactly you can see exactly why his butteria hired him in the first place. But he wants to talk about these things. Even his own party are now realising that he simply doesn't have a plan for this country, Mr Speaker. The member for Dagenham and Rainer said it's difficult to identify the purpose of his leadership. And long-time, and long-time celebrity backer Steve Coogan recently said he licks his finger, sticks it in the air and just sees which way the wind is blowing. Even Labour Party know, Mr Speaker, he's not a leader, he is a human weather vane. Human weather vane, that's uh, uh, a better... Well, it's the sort of thing we heard from... Didn't uh, Boris Johnson used to call him a human weather vane? No, he used to call him a useless human bollard. Oh, yes. Different kind of street furniture, I'm afraid. (laughs) (laughs) There was a a huge amount in that. Keir Starmer opened with... The accusation that Rishi Sunak was making millions betting off the misery of working people during the financial crisis. And that is exactly what Labour 
senior Labour advisors threatened when I said to them a couple of weeks ago, what do you think of all these attacks on Keir Starmer's legal career? They said, well, if you want to get into CVs, let's talk about what Rishi Sunak was doing while Keir Starmer was Director of Public Prosecutions. And that apparently is their, is their charge, that he was betting against the country in the city. Rishi Sunak coming back just as hard, reminding people again of Keir Starmer's work for that now prescribed Islamist group. But here's someone trying to throw a load in there. There was a very odd EastEnders reference. 13 years of division and chaos. Like an extra lot. Not, well, EastEnders have been going for longer than 13 <laughs> years. Um, then he talked about the steel industry yeah. from last week, which is quite complicated. Uh, and it's not entirely clear how the steel industry would fit with Labour's net zero plans. Then the childcare policy, which mm. is an interesting you know, area to go at. And the fact that you know, it's a flagship policy, which is quite popular, but doesn't seem to be working. Um, but then it all sort of just gets lost in sort of mush. Yeah, I mean, within that question, there were probably six questions mm. that you could have strung out. Weirdly, I thought, you know, in in line with what you were saying earlier about Keir Starmer's failure to use the Simon Clark thing as effectively as he could have done, I think you had a very good example of quoting words at people directly and pithily from Rishi Sunak there, quoting the words of John Crudus, the senior Labour MP and former policy chief of the party, saying Keir Starmer basically doesn't have a philosophy. And of Steve Coogan, uh, who, never a great fan of uh, Keir Starmer, but big fan of the Labour Party historically, saying he just sticks his finger in the wind. And because those are two very different people, John Crudus and Steve Coogan, I won't now go on a, uh, a tangent about how they're actually second-generation Irish immigrants and have a lot in common. Um, <laughs> it's, it's very effective. Yeah, you, know, yeah, yeah. you almost want Keir Starmer read to have said... People say, yeah, just yeah. Read out the quote, because it's much harder to rebut. Obviously, it's harder for uh, Keir Starmer to rebut, because he's not facing the questions. Uh, I, I, just, just, uh, it's, we're not scoring points, but to be clear, uh, Boris Johnson twice called... Over heavy human weather vein. Called him a human weather vein. Uh, in, on the 30th of March, 2022... Uh, he's just changed position. We do at least expect some consistency from this human weather vane. And uh, then in January 2021, he said, I must say, the whole experience of listening to him over the past few months has been like watching a weather vane spinning round and round, depending on where the breezes are blowing. But that is a, quite a powerful criticism of Keir Starmer. And again, people at the top of the Labour Party privately acknowledged that this is difficult. Keir Starmer is not as good at other people as, as ex, at explaining why his opinions yeah. on things have changed. You can see a, a sort of party political broadcast of him as a weather vane, and you know he was in favour of nationalisation, and he wasn't. He well, was you just in play clips of him, fees. yeah, yeah, yeah. Play, saying the opposite things. Right, we're slightly conscious of time because Patrick's here. We've gone on quite a long time. Uh, right, let's uh, <laughs> all that biographical detail of John Credis. Let's go back to the House of Commons. Though this is question number four. Uh, it's not the sidelines; it's behind him that the fire's coming in, Mr. Speaker. <laughs> and he can try and blame the Labour Party all he wants. Yeah. The difference is. I've changed my party. He's bullied by his party. And has he found the time in his busy schedule to work out why thousands of parents are being told by their nurseries that they won't get free childcare that he promised them? Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, let, let's see what his party is offering the country. It's great. Right, so... We all know, Mr. Speaker, he doesn't. He doesn't have many. He doesn't have many ideas for our country. Oh, oh, I'm going to hear the prime minister. Uh, well, he, he, he doesn't have many. But one thing we do know, Mr. Speaker, is that you don't want to push it, do you? Lindsay Hoyle again. You know that he's committed to his 2030 decarbonisation promise, Mr. Speaker, which they say will cost 28. 
billion pounds. But I was reading about it this week. He says he's changed the party. One of his team called it an albatross hanging around their neck. That might have been the Shadow Chancellor, maybe, Mr Speaker. But he said, he said they're doubling down on it. All this ahead of a crunch meeting, we're told, this week for them to work out how they're going to pay for it. I can save them some time because we all know the answer. Higher taxes for the British people! I feel like this whole episode of PMQs is, is like when people have those words on a fridge. What, you just, you just like move them around. Them just move them around. And they make a semblance of sense, but it's not a proper sentence. It's not really a real thing. Why has Keir someone gone back to asking about childcare again? And then he... Having not really set that up or explained the issue or put himself on the side of parents anyway, he just got to said, oh, it's about your childcare thing. Is that working? And then he's ended up talking about Greek. I feel like I'm going mad. The way this was explained to me, uh, just as PMQs began, as Kirsten was approached, that is, was we're going on the chaos with a little bit of childcare. Um, I didn't realise that was a description of their writing style. <laughs> <laughs> and no, Kirsten no, 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 had a line sorry. there, clearly a line written, for to land like a soccer punch. I've changed my party. He is bullied by his. It's very close to I lead my party, party, he follows his, which Tony Blair landed against uh, John Major in 1995. Not long after, well, about a year after he became uh, leader and all hell broke loose in the House of Commons. And actually, Betty Boothroyd had to intervene to calm things down. But if that was supposed to be the killer line, he completely fluffed it. He should, Also, he should have just quoted it directly. Yeah. Because he did, uh, during the budget, recently, or was it a PMQ's... Any, either way, he quoted John Smith on uh, Norman Lamont saying Richard Sunak was the man with the reverse Midas touch. Yeah. So he's not averse to quoting things directly, but maybe the delivery would have failed him anyway. But, it, but if that's the line you want to land, you need to lay the groundwork yes. for it. Like, again and again, he's been bullied by, you know, whether it's Simon Clark or Lee Anderson or, you know, his own cabinet, whatever. Build that up. He's been bullied. I've changed my party. I've got rid of Jeremy Corbyn. You're being bullied by your... You can't just drop that in, like... like anyway. I just have to say, political Twitter really likes it. Not that that's a measure of um, quality, ever. In fact, quite the opposite. Well, because I was they... Find, they the same people breathlessly saying Rishi Sunak was going to be gone by the day, <laughs> by the end of the day last well, night. Well, it's because they have all that knowledge at the forefront of their heads. If you're uh... But you delivered it really badly. People aren't going to be replaying that in 30 years. <laughs> uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully we won't have uh, televisions in 30 years. <laughs> We've had to sell them and eat them. <laughs> Luke Little has eaten all of this, so that was run up. All right, uh, um, 87212, start measure of the World Times. If you want to get in touch, if you've still got the will to live, let's go back to the House of Commons for the next word salad. Mr Speaker, there's only one party that crashed the economy. They're sitting right there, right there. And he, he... Oh, oh. oh, oh it's losing Hall again. I've had your question already. Obviously, you don't want to remain for the rest of it. He has Mr. 25 tax rises and he's got nothing to say on childcare. Millions of families will have been listening for an answer and they've got absolutely nothing. He announced that scheme a year ago, claiming it would get 60,000 parents back into work. Only on Monday of this week did he notice there were some, in his words, practical issues with that. <laughs> Eight weeks before its launch, parents can't budget plan for work or make arrangements with their employers. And the Prime Minister's response is to say, it's all fine, it's the fault of the Labour Party. Is this merely a practical issue 
Or is it yet another example of him simply not understanding how life works for other people? Mr Speaker, we're delivering the biggest ever expansion of childcare in this country's history, Mr Speaker. But while millions of parents will benefit from that, again, it's right that he should come clean with them about the cost that his, that his plans will impose on all of them. He, he goes on and on about the green promise, Mr Speaker. He says he wants to keep it. He says he wants to keep it, but he doesn't have a plan to pay for it. What he's really saying is he'll scrap the borrowing associated, but he wants to keep the £28 billion of spending. So for all those working families who are benefiting from our free childcare, he should come clean with them now. Why doesn't he come clean with them now? Come clean with them now and just be clear, his plans mean back to square one and higher taxes for British people. I mean, all this reminds me. You remember we had Peter Dixon for the X Factor in? He, I think he basically just summed it up. What a ruddy word salad. I mean, they're just... I don't need to know what Keir Starmer's landing on childcare. Mm. And then being asked about childcare, Rishi Sunak's responding, talking about the, the Green Climate Fund. Keir Starmer's questions are very long. I, what I will say about Rishi Sunak is that you can see a through line to his answers, which is Keir Starmer doesn't share your values. His policies will bankrupt the country. He won't tell you he'll put up your taxes, right? You can at least discern an argument there, even if you might think it's tenuous or you might think it doesn't bear any uh, resemblance to the world in which most voters live. There is, it is a sort of coherent political attack. I'm not really sure you can say the same of Keir Starmer's. I guess you could say, look, while you're messing around in Westminster, here's what's going on in the real world. But it's not particularly sharp. Yeah. I suppose there's also a risk with this, this childcare thing, because it's only just coming in. If you bang on about it too much, you're, what you're actually doing is advertising the government's massive expansion yeah. of childcare. Because, do you know what I mean, it's not, it's not a sort of existing thing, which it's not like rack concrete in schools or mm. whatever, where it's a sort of culpability problem. You're just actually advertising that, that there are some teething troubles with the rollout of a, of a major new expansion uh, policy. I mean, obviously, you look at the polls, Labour 20 points ahead, maybe this stuff doesn't matter. But in the heat of a general election campaign, if the Labour Party can't form a coherent message on the day that a former cabinet colleague's called for the Prime Minister to resign, and he's got in this pickle, yeah, and it, and it goes to show the Tories are not going to go down without a fight, and they have got, they think, sufficient dirt and attacks on, on, uh, on Keir Starmer to... Uh, to try and make it stick. Uh, <laughs> somebody just said, somebody just, Harry in London says, PMQs used to be at least entertaining. They're trying to be as naff as possible so that people will decide to get rid of PMQs altogether. Well, what will Patrick McGuire and I do on Wednesday lunchtime if that happens? Probably have lunch. Could probably go for lunch. Yeah, yeah. we could do. Uh, let's go back to the House of Commons then uh, with a sense of grim inevitability. This is question <laughs> number six from Keir Starber. Mr Speaker, making steelworkers redundant and failing to provide childcare is not a plan, Prime Minister. It's a farce. It's a farce. And he may soon discover that with childcare, there's an IT problem. Nurseries haven't got the spaces. They haven't got the staff. There's a black hole in their budget and it's eight weeks to go. That isn't a plan. And families across the country, well, they can laugh all they like. Families are making plans now. They laugh at it. Of course they do. Families are struggling with a cost of living crisis, trying to work out the household budget, 
balancing sparring mortgages, prices and eye-watering bills. And then at the last minute, they're thrown into chaos because their nursery says they can't deliver the free childcare he promised. Now, he calls that a practical issue. But I preferred the honesty of whichever of his colleagues briefed to the Times that it was, and I quote, a complete shit show. Who, who, who was it who briefed that to the Times? Hands up. Will the Prime Minister finally realise... Well, obviously, I'd have to apologise. I'll decide how long the question goes. Those who wish not to hear it, I've told you the answer, and I'll help you on the way. When will the Prime Minister finally realise that the biggest practical issue facing Britain is the constant farcical incompetence of the government that he leads? Another week with no ideas, absolutely no ideas as country, and absolutely no plan. He talked about the cost of living, Mr Speaker, he talked about the economy, but he never actually brings it up, and we all know why, Mr Speaker, because things are improving and we are making progress. Wages now rising, Mr Speaker, debt on track to be reduced, and inflation more than halved from 11% to 4%, because he actually knows that our plan is working and that his £28 billion tax grab will take Britain back to square one. And that, Mr Speaker, is the choice. It's back to square one and higher taxes with him, or a plan that's delivering a brighter future with the Conservatives. Well, obviously, we'd like to begin by apologising for the potty mouth of the uh, leader of the opposition. Is that a bit beneath the dignity of the man running to be Prime Minister? I think it has to be used sparingly, and he's sworn twice in this session, which might be a little... What was the other one? I can't remember now. Well, let's not repeat it. Um, uh, So this was a source in the Times, he was quoting, uh, from uh, the weekend, uh, saying that September is going to be an absolute show, as a Whitehall source says, there's going to be parents that just don't get their places. <sighs> I don't understand. Why is he trying to marry together steel workers, steel workers and childcare? Just go on childcare. Loads of people are worried about it. There were kids, we were talking to somebody with the Bernardos said it. There's a, there's a lobby of young people mm. in Parliament today uh, lobbying politicians. I think what Team Starmer would say to that is we are trying to make an argument about working people, be they steel workers in Port Talbot or working parents wherever. Hmm. I mean, it, I can see what they were trying to do, but it wasn't particularly well done. The questions were very long. They reminded me a little bit of Jeremy Corbyn at his most prolix. Yeah. You know, they work. maybe they'll work well on social media when, you know, the... Kids are on the bus home vaping and watching Instagram reels of Keir Starmer smacking down Rishi Sunak. Anyway, enough about how I spend my evenings. You uh, do have to... But, I mean, it's an interesting question. I mean, Labour are 20 points ahead of both. There's no getting away from that. In the heat of a general election campaign, a TV debate where, it, particularly if it was a head-to-head one, which apparently they're both committed to doing, if that was played out, if that sort of nonsense was played out in front of uh, um, millions of people rather than however many people are watching, and people... Lots of people seeing Keir Starmer for the first time. If he carries on like that, he will literally knock points off his. No, no, exactly, exactly, and that is what some senior Labour people are worried about. The difficulty for Rishi Sunak, you know, as I've said a couple of times, his attack lines are well honed. They are consistent. They're punchy. The problem is they bear no resemblance, or you can't advance those arguments as the leader of a party 
which is tearing itself apart, yeah. which was told to unite by its campaign manager last Monday and is now spending you know, its days putting nonsense polling on the front page of the Daily Telegraph and calling for him to resign. So, oh, God... Uh, Dave says, I wish he wouldn't swear, no need for it. I often watch this with my young son. He needs to up his game if he wants to be seen as a future PM. Doubt Blair would swear like that. Uh, there we are. Sunak can't answer the questions because he never listens, says John. Um, uh, uh, if you want questions and answers, watch appearances before select committees. PMQs is Punch and Judy. It has been for years. Uh, there we are. Well, there we go. Laura, you have been watching the Backbench contributions. Were they good? They were amazing. So good. So, so good. Lots of references to dentistry and footpaths today. Oh, well, we were talking about dentistry only earlier uh, with um, Robert and Alice. You know, there's a, if, if um, people thought they could get a dentist, that might, you know, improve yeah. matters. I mean, this one was actually, it was from Tom Hunt, a backbencher. We're not doing it, but it was about whether or not dentists should be allowed to train under the NHS and then, and then leave, Scarpa. basically. Yeah. Do you think they should? Well, it's an interesting question. And I know that there is frustration in government that their dentistry plans have not yet been brought forward. Mm. It's started feeling that Labour's stolen a march. I'm talking about it. As have the Lib Dems, because they campaigned on it in the Somerton and Froome by-election, I think. There was a lot of dentistry content. Is that enough of that? Should we go to what? what who, we can. Who We're we going to have? Stephen Flynn. Of course we are. Um, as we always do, uh, the SNP Westminster leader, who asks Rishi Sunak about Gaza, uh, which is particularly relevant given uh, given David Cameron, Lord Cameron's trip to the region starting today. Mr Speaker, last night as Tory MPs were once again fighting amongst themselves, the public were sat at home watching John Irvin of ITV News report on footage from Gaza of an unarmed Palestinian man walking under a white flag, being shot and killed by the IDF. Prime Minister, such an act constitutes a war crime, does it not? Mr Speaker, we've been absolutely consistent that international humanitarian law should be respected and civilians uh, will be, should be protected. I've made that point expressly to Prime Minister Netanyahu and the Foreign Secretary is in the region this week making exactly the same point. Stephen Clay. Mr Speaker, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom to rise to that dispatch box and tell the people of these isles and elsewhere that shooting an unarmed man walking under a white flag is a war crime. Now, now in recent weeks, this House has acted with urgency and intent following an ITV drama. The question is, will this House now show the same urgency and intent following this ITV news report? And finally, back a ceasefire in Gaza. Mr Speaker, no one wants to see this conflict go on for a moment longer than necessary. And we do want to see an immediate and sustained humanitarian pause to get more aid in and, crucially, the hostages out, helping create the conditions for a sustainable ceasefire. I set out the conditions for that earlier in the House. The Foreign Secretary is in the region today and will continue to press all our allies and partners to make sure that we can bring about that outcome. I mean, this is a reminder of like more serious things that are happening in the world, and this pretty extraordinary uh, footage that ITV uh, have got of the, and it's, you know, there's no doubting it. Some a, ma- a group of men walking along, holding a white flag, and then one of them was 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 shot dead. And actually, it puts a focus on the fact, and you know, David Cameron's meeting Benjamin Netanyahu today, that the 
fulsome support for Israel following the attack by Hamas. That's now been really tested by the actions of, of the Israeli government. Yeah, that's definitely uh, fair. And I think listening to Sunak there, the message which sometimes can sound convoluted, which is talking about an immediate and sustained humanitarian pause that in turn would create conditions for a sustainable ceasefire. I think that will come uh, under pressure when you're cited quite powerful examples as you were then from Flynn. And, and Rishi Sunak having to sort of change gear really and actually engage properly in the question, Patrick. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's also interesting, the politics of that question. Not only do you have Rishi Sunak responding to it, as you say, soberly and not with a party political attack, it's difficult for Keir Starmer too. And it, I think that tells you how the SNP think the late, a resurgent Labour Party in Scotland is vulnerable, i.e. on questions of foreign affairs, the SNP staking out a more dovish position. It's also notable... We, may or may not hear it, but Tahir Ali, the left-wing Labour MP for Birmingham Hall Green, also speaking on Gaza in this session, said that Keir Starmer, uh, that the UK should ban arms sales to Israel. So clearly you have an idea there of where people think Labour is vulnerable on its left. Uh, well, we'll see, because uh, we'll, I imagine we'll hear from uh, from David Cameron after his uh, his trip to Israel, so we'll keep an eye on that throughout the day. Uh, Lara, what else did you caught your eye? Um, we are going to Jonathan Lord next, the Conservative MP. He has constituents who are victims of the post office scandal who are in the gallery today, who he references, and I think it's a reminder uh, that while we're not quite in the biggest part of the storm with this scandal, the pressure uh, on actually fulfilling the government's promises on this, I think, shouldn't be uh, taken for granted or shouldn't be ignored. The post office scandal has affected so many people, including my constituent, Seema Misra, a sub-postmaster from West Byfleet with an outstanding record of service to her community, who was wrongfully convicted in 2010 of stealing £75,000 and was sentenced to prison on her first son's birthday and whilst pregnant with her second son. Does the Prime Minister agree with me, and more importantly with Seema Misra herself, who is in the gallery today with her husband Davinda, that she is due a full apology from the Post Office, a full apology from Fujitsu, and proper compensation as a matter of urgency? And I know my honourable friend has been a great support to his constituents over all the years and has fought relentlessly for the truth to come out. As I've said, the Horizon scandal is one of the greatest miscarriages of justice in our nation's history. Uh, We will introduce, as I said a few weeks ago, primary legislation within weeks to ensure that all convictions that were based on erroneous Horizon evidence are quashed, that will clear people's names, deliver justice and ensure swifter access to compensation. Innocent people, like my honourable friend's constituents, have waited far too long and I'm determined that they receive compensation as swiftly as possible. We have a clear moral duty to right these wrongs and that is exactly what we will do. And normally you're not supposed to, I mean this is a technical point, you're not supposed to refer to people in the gallery but Keir Starmer, actually you're not literally playing to the gallery but um, uh, Lindsay Hall obviously let that one go. And and actually it's an example of MPs using pressure in PMQs 
to keep the focus on this story, which is slightly at risk of dripping out of the news agenda again. Yeah, and it was interesting that that question could have been posed in pretty similar form before that major announcement from the government. He didn't really reference uh, any progress having been made by the government, despite Mm. obviously sitting behind Rishi Sunak on the Conservative benches. So I thought that was interesting, that there wasn't even reference to there having been this big, bold promise. There was just a sense of there still being justice yet being delivered. And actually, Rishi Sunak's response was a bit like the thing he said a couple of weeks ago. Well, well, it's just a sort of boilerplate. It's all very sad. It's all very sad. Let's get going. I'm doing my sad voice. Incidentally, I think that's the first time I've ever heard Jonathan Lord speak. He's a very inconspicuous Tory backbencher. <laughs> Never held any government job of any kind at all, despite being an MP since 2005. I've always wondered what he sounds like. There we go. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> it's a dream fulfilled. If nothing else, you've. Uh, I've made Patrick's you've, day. You've made Patrick's it's day. Really high. Uh, Patrick, you're gripping your phone. Are you being briefed? Uh, can I be completely honest with you? Yeah. I, I saw uh, that it might be Burns night, so I was checking if they had Haggis on in the terrace cafeteria, which they do. <laughs> it's Burns night tomorrow. I know, but, well, they have Haggis, Neeps and Tatties on in uh, in Parliament, which is what I'm going to do. So in due course. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Patrick. There was me thinking you might be on, you know... Uh, Team Starmer on the blower. <laughs> if only. No. Uh, Labour uh, MP said they didn't watch PMQs, someone whose uh, judgment I trust. Uh, civil Servant says uh, today's instalment of PMQs is funny. Um, Matt Dathan just beat George Grills around the world in the Times Parliamentary Office dartboard. Right, it's all happening. Yeah. It's all happening. Uh, somebody else has got in touch and had a go at us, Patrick. Have they? Have they? Yeah. Uh, here we are. Tim says, Matt, I think you're overanalyzing. <laughs> Almost everyone else watching PMQ seems to think Starmer is destroying Sunak. Mm, well, I think that might be a slight echo chamber of, uh, of Twitter there. I mean, judgment uh, of the uh, parliamentary uh, press galleries. Yeah, exactly. Never unimpeachable. Uh, yeah, I, I still think the questions are too long, confused, and badly delivered. But apart from that, <laughs> uh, that was the play, Mrs. Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> right, very good. Uh, well, thank you very much, Lars Spear. What time are you being people in boxes? Three p.m. Time subscribers, you can get your PMQs unpacked email about half three. Uh, that is Lara so Spirit unfair. Will that is so that. Unfair. Uh, Patrick McGuire, the rest of the afternoon, just a haggis and a nap. Uh, haggis and several high level meetings. Right, very good. <laughs> Couple of naps. Well, that was PMQ's Unpacked with Patrick McGuire and Lara Spirit. Let us know what you thought. You could email me, matt at times.radio, or find me on Twitter or X or Instagram or all of the platforms which haven't yet died. <laughs>